Hi, my name is Cyril, and on behalf of Moose and Donald, my co-host, welcome to the maiden episode of After the Whistle. We've got a great episode lined up for you today. We will first turn our attention to the just-ended AFCON tournament, which was held in Gabon a couple of weeks ago. Also, we're going to stretch our attention to African players with dual nationalities. Is this becoming a fad? Should we be concerned? What does the team feel about this? And then we are going to figure out exactly what the Black Stars should be looking for in their new coach, given that Avram Grant just walked away. Before we begin, Moose Donald, what was your impression for the just ended AFCON tournament? Um, first of all, I'll ask this question. What makes a tournament you know, a great tournament? I mean, I would say atmosphere. So supporters, fans. Yeah, you know, supporters, fans, and you know the general feeling about the tournament. And interest. Interest as well. And do we feel Gabon was lacking? Exactly, that's my point. I don't think this tournament had that. I think in the build-up to the tournament, I don't think there was so much hype around it. And at the same time, I think the fans at the stadium, I, I don't think there were that many fans at stadiums you know, to watch games. So... Yeah, generally, I just think it was weak when it comes to atmosphere. It did have a surprising winner, though, so it does have that going for it. Moose, your thoughts? Surprising? I wouldn't say surprising, but... Given the powerhouses of African football, I don't think many people tipped the eventual winners. Cameroon are a powerhouse of African football. Fair enough, but recently... Recently, they're on the come-up. They're on the come-up, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I guess them winning the tournament is proof that they're on the come-up. They're on the come-up. They've been able to convince, you know, a few really good young players to switch nationalities and play for them, yeah. which which we'll get into later. So they're on the come-up. But, yeah, the thing about the AFCON is, I mean, even in Ghana, you realize there wasn't much interest. I think it was just it's general apathy for the black stars, yeah. among other things. And the feeling was that we just wanted that. We just wanted to get the Afcon out of the way, so to speak. Yeah, it wasn't really a tournament that came, and it was just a tournament that came in between our regular Premier League season, and we just wanted it done with. So people wanted to yeah, yeah, see yeah. how it would yeah. have an effect on the Premier League season. It was a distraction, pretty much, yeah. and I guess that just comes back to the whole chorus of we have it too often. We should change. I feel like. Even if you're going to have it every two years still, because you feel like the money still needs to go around, at least have it in the summer. I feel like having it in January is really causing some logistical problems for for some of the players and their coaches. You, you realize everything that happened with guys like uh, uh, Kojo Samoa, who couldn't make it because he had to find his place in the team, so to speak. You had um, uh, Joel Matip. You had all these problems with, you know... Mm-hmm teams, you know, these European teams and their African stars, and I guess it just slowly, slowly, it's starting to feel more and more like a distraction. It's exactly. not, it's not, I mean, every time they call it the African Minnows Tournament, it's starting to really feel like the African Minnows Tournament, because <laughs> as a Ghanaian, your interest only carries you as far as Ghana goes, and, you know, I mean, you look around and it's really, it's pretty much only among your circle of hardcore soccer fans that you find people still being interested in the tournament. It's yeah. it's like a fit league somewhere. Tell us how you really feel, Moose. <laughs> it's, it's, it's... No, but... I mean, this AFCON needed work. It needed work. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't that captivating. There wasn't much interest. That's true. But still, credit to Cameroon. It was it was a fun tournament. It had, it had its stories. It had its stories. And 
it still it still served up it served up its fair share of stories. So, uh, one thing Moose will touch on that we hope to address in later episodes is the timing of Afcon. Moose proposed a summer a summer switch. There's also been talk about maybe alternating the number of years to maybe extend that to three years. Four years of it has even been proposed. So that's something that we definitely here at ACW are going to get to. But for our next discussion point, sticking with Afcon and African players, African players with dual nationalities. Uh, in recent years, it seems rather fashionable to see European-born players with African or African grandparents opting to play for the their parents or grandparents, you know, country of origin. How do we feel about this in general? Uh, don't know first words. I think, for the most part, it's opportunistic. Like a lot of these players look at it as an opportunity, as in the the players who are in Europe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, who have the opportunity to play for African nations. It presents an opportunity for them because in Europe they are going to get better opportunities and better exposure. So once they try that and it doesn't work out, the African countries become the next option. That becomes a plan B. Exactly. It becomes a plan B. So then, yeah, as a player, what do you do from there? Moose, you share Donald's sentiment that African countries are just being used as plan B by European-based or European-born players of African origin heritage as well. There's nothing wrong with being a plan B. <laughs> I mean, the other option is... As long as it's beneficial for both it's parties. beneficial to both parties. <laughs> the other option is they will just refuse to play for you. Then you don't have those players because you have to, you have to admit you're selecting those players because they're good enough. That's true. Because you know they're good enough. These players are good. That's why they even had a look in for their European nations. They're good. We are talking about the likes of, you know, Inaki Williams, the likes of uh, Chupomoting. You know, these players were good enough as young players to merit selection. To merit selection. And we have to admit it, their national teams are stronger sides. Are stacked, exactly. They are stacked. They are mm-hmm. stacked, mm-hmm. you know. And really have to be fair. It, you are the second option, but that's life. I mean, yeah. you always go for your first option. If it doesn't work out, if you have another option, you take it. So if we can benefit from dual national players who somehow decide to play for us, I'm fine. I, I have no qualms about it. I feel, I feel like we need more of those. I have this theory that African national teams are going to be full of dual nationals or players who haven't, you know, who left, who've been playing in um, Outside. You know, European academies yeah. since they were 13. So American academies yeah. as well. I think, I think America is a bit far off. But I would just say... Well, the point is, right now, high-level elite football is European football. I mean, you watch the Copa America, and even if they're playing under South American managers who play a certain way, you have most of their stars having learned their trade in Europe. So you have to know, if if we say most of high-level football is European football, I mean, we would call the Euros pretty much the elite an elite tournament the Euros you can put the Euros at the same level as the World Cup and you know international club football everybody knows is the Champions League so you understand that if you're going to say the top style we are all playing European football the dominant it's the dominant style they're all going there to learn at you understand at the best the best clubs in the world under the best coaches we can compete with that yeah. You have to understand, you can compete with that. I have no problem. I have no problem with the national team of kids who left when they were 13, 
know little about Ghana, just want to fly in, play a few games and go. Because we have to accept it's really, it's what it is. It's a result-based business. We wouldn't care. We wouldn't care if a team of mercenaries came in and won us the World Cup. We really, we really wouldn't care. <laughs> we, I, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care. Before we, before we advance that discussion <laughs> point, I just want us to go over FIFA's eligibility rules, just to provide some sort of context for our listeners as well. The switch to another country is not exactly as easy as some make it seem. There's actually a process to it. This was signed back in 2004. This was after the Gulf nations were still in African players to supplement their national team. And FIFA decided to step in and have like rules to you know stop these things from happening. Running through the checklist, more or less. Uh, the player must be born on the territory of the relevant association. The player must have biological parents born on the territory of the relevant association. The player must have grandparents born in the territory of the relevant association. Or the player should have lived continuously for at least five years after reaching the age of 18 on the territory of the relevant association. So these are the criteria a player has to meet one or more. Additionally, for a player to switch, they should not have represented another national team in an official competition. Now, FIFA classes youth-level games as non-official matches, and friendlies are also classified as non-official matches, which is why you could have a player, uh, Zaha, play through England under, under was 15, 18, 21, playing a friendly, but able to switch to Ivory Coast because he's never featured for the England national team in an official competition. So pretty much anything but qualifiers and tournaments. Exactly. Yeah. So these are the rules. Pretty, pretty, pretty stringent. For the full oh, national yeah. team. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think they're so stringent. I think they're fair. I think they make yeah. tons of sense. I think they're yeah. fair. And they make, and again, once you represent a national team, you can't switch back. Yeah, you can't switch yeah. back. Mm-hmm. So don't all begin this conversation about why players would want to switch to the African side. He was leaning a bit on the skeptical side, which I share with him to some degree, in that players didn't crack it for their European federations and decide to come to the African side just because it's a weaker selection. And by virtue of being trained in Europe, they are elite compared to the competition they face with the European FAs. Moose, do you feel that this probably is a reason why to be more skeptical about European born Africans wanting to come play for African national teams or are you firmly of the opinion that once they come in and contribute and we get the results, that's all that should really matter? I'll put it this way. If you're the coach, you just need to select the best squad. The best squad available to you. If they're dual national players who make themselves available to you and you know that they're better than what you would have, you go ahead. You go right ahead and you select them. You know, because you're trying to select the best squad of players that you can. And I don't care if you were born on the border of, you know, Mars and Venus, man. So long as by FIFA rules you can play for Ghana and you're good enough mm-hmm. and you're better than what we have, and you've offered yourself to play, you should be selected. Do you feel then follow-up moves, do you feel then that the argument that's advanced sometimes about these players not having their right <laughs> sense of nationalism is a fair one to make? It's a fair one to make, but also, I mean, you have people born and bred in Ghana who have little nationalism in them, so 
little patriotism in them. So where do we go from there? I mean, patriotism is is pretty. It's a vanity metric. The way I say it, it's a bit of a vanity metric. Like no, how but. do you how do you measure patriotism? Do you see them <laughs> screaming out the national anthem? Does that make them, you know, better players, so to speak? Because at the end of the day, it's a game of skill. And I feel like you should you should pick the better skilled players. I've always said this. It will get to a time when our national teams are going to be filled with players who, you know, dual national players who got turned down by their first choice nations and this is the only option of being international stars. That's what's going to happen. And we have to deal with it because you have to accept that there is there is there is a gap in the level of football that is played. In terms of if African nations do want to compete, they do have to fill, they do have to match the gather you are mentioning, and yeah. it's going to come with players who understand the system, who can actually compete with their European based counterparts. So you are saying there's a there's a resource gap. Yes, there's a resource gap, and there's also I mean a skill gap. I mean if if I was French, if I was you know if I was French, I would feel that I mean growing up in France and being able to you know make the best of the super French academies they have there. It would make me a better player than, you know, if I was there as a Ghanaian and I have trouble, you know, being able to legally, you understand, legally train, like trouble with my visas and stuff, with having, status, to, yeah. with, with having to, you know, have those opportunities afforded to me. So, I mean, look at Pogba. I think one of his brothers represents is a Guinea, Guinea yeah. and he represents France. France. Um, what do you call it? I think Salomon Kalou. They 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 pretty much wanted uh, uh, Marco Van Basten. Uh, what do you call it? Van Basten wanted to get him in. Get him in. The he was team. so vital to the tactical setup. He wanted to play that. He wanted them to uh, like rush through his, you know, his eligibility, process, and yeah. then they turned him down. They were like, no, everybody has to go through the process, and. At the time when he was trying to play for the Dutch national team, I think his older brother was captain. Bonaventure Kalu was, was, you know, was a pretty big player for Ivory Coast. He was pretty important. So, you know, these things, these things happen. You make the most of them. And back to the Cameroon squad. I mean, you had seven players. Seven players refused to play. They still won the tournament, but I have to stop you then and say, these guys... <laughs> this is you preempting my question at this point. These guys, <laughs> these guys play the qualifiers. These are the, for the, the players who refuse to show up the for the tournament. The players who refuse to show, show up. They played the qualifiers. So, so you have to understand that this whole process of winning the tournament is qualifying and then playing, and the, then playing the tournament and winning it. They still play the part in the process. Donald, do you feel that the work they put in doing qualifiers is justification enough for them to turn down the opportunity to represent. Oh, I do not see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do not see that. I'm just trying to say that... It's not as if they just showed up late to the party. In spite of the dastardly thing they did, they had they have still helped the process. Exactly. So, it, it's, in a way, it's still very much a part they of They have helped. Exactly. They helped. Yeah. 
You get what I'm saying? They helped. They didn't just say, oh, we, we won't play qualifiers, select us for the national team. But this is the tournament. But this sentiment is shared in hindsight, and I'm curious what Donald thinks. The fact that Cameroon won now, it's shared in hindsight. We can look back and say them them missing out still didn't affect them in the long run. But should Cameroon have done badly or poorly? Oh, we can say it affected them in lots of intangibles. <laughs> I mean, maybe the players not being there was able to foster like greater togetherness in the players who stayed. The coach probably used it to motivate them that yeah. hey, yeah, that these guys are in there, but you have to show these guys that mm-hmm. you can do it without them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 you know. I mean, what if they played and they didn't win it? Everybody would be happy. They wouldn't be villains. But Cameroon wouldn't. If I was Cameroonian, I wouldn't have it any other way. If yeah. if there was a chance for me to redo it, I would say they should play. They should turn us down, and we go and win the tournament. <laughs> I'll take that. No, you understand. Like the, I, uh, the end, pretty much justifies the mean. We yeah. won the tournament, right? Find your villains now, but if. That was the series of fortunate and unfortunate events that took us to, you know, an Afghan title. Then, hey, I'll take it. Uh, Donald? Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree. I mean, like you said, hindsight, right? And um, Who do you agree with? <laughs> <laughs> um, you could agree with both, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, but, yeah, I, I, get where, I get where you're coming from. So I think um, there are... Their contributions during the qualifiers are not, you know, irrelevant. They are still relevant. It got them into the tournaments, the finals, and you know. But um, I still think, yeah, you know where I stand on this. Boycotting the whole tournament because of whatever reasons they had, I just don't think it. I, I just don't think it was right. And I would say this. I think that with the youth tournament thing, yeah. In the rules, when yeah. they say, you know, you tournaments don't count. Mm-hmm. I think there should be a time limit during that period. So what are you proposing then? So I'm proposing that maybe if you play for, you know, the junior teams, like the under-18s, 21s or whatever, for a particular number of tournaments, let's say two tournaments, three tournaments, right? Okay. That should make you ineligible to play for another, another nation. So that way, they are, they are forced to make the decision early. And they can, they can find themselves in the system or around the group of people. Like, the, if you, let's say you choose to play for Ghana. How long before you can make a switch then? You have to make that decision before you begin. But what would that, what would that help with? Like, what, why? To, to foster, to, 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 to or act as a way of, you know, instilling in them a level of patriotism. For me, for me, that's the whole thing. The whole thing for me is patriotism. Like, get listen, them in early. Yeah, so get them in early. Because if you are, you are 25, exactly, if you are 25 or 28 and now you decide, okay, I've tried for years to get into the national team and I'm not getting in. This is the European so national the, team. The European national team, yes. right? I'm not getting in. So now I want to take my chances with my plan B. You yeah, understand? Which is the African Yeah, team. which is Africa. So at 28 or so 25, you, you come be, in. You should be punished for that. No, 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 it's not punishment. It's not punishment. We were punished for being decisive in school, but I don't know. That's a fair point. No problem. But yeah, you understand? If if you come in young, you find yourself around peers, you learn the culture, you understand them more from a young age. Donald, you're just here to play football. (laughs) <laughs> no, but he wants no. more than a team. No, he wants a squad. He wants exactly. a brotherhood. Because Moose, are you so against a team that bonds and you know has bad strips together? Exactly. No, it's not. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. So many of these teams, it happens during tournaments. It happens during qualifiers. It happens during training camps. I mean, I understand how sometimes you would wish that 
the players are friends mm-hmm. or whatnot. But I don't see what this would. No, no, no I, I totally get you. I get you. I know that yeah, at the end of the day, the football is the. It's the result that matters the, yeah, at the end. Exactly. But then. Before the tournament, right? Yes, yes. Actually, was talking about how he was afraid that he was going to lose his position at Newcastle because it's of the, because of the, the outcome. Yeah. yeah, business schedule. You understand? He was afraid. But then I, I, I would assume that it was mostly because he felt like he had a duty to, to serve Ghana. Black Stars, yes. To serve the, the, the national team. So that was the main motivation behind coming. But then you have people like Afobi and... Um, Matip. Yeah, Matip and squad. Then, who... <laughs> yeah. Who would say you know who who can easily detach themselves at that moment in time when they have to make their decision? I put them. You yeah, understand? Yeah. So if that that level of patriotism is there, I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect, but then you can you you feel that it anchors them to yeah, the team and it gives them a sense them of responsibility. I feel like that's a fair argument to raise, Moose. I just I just still stick with what I said. Patriotism in this instance is a vanity metric it doesn't really yeah. count for anything at the end of the day it's about the football if the football is great if you win we <laughs> move. i mean come on if i mean are you going to say oh okay um let's just say in hand we have um inaki <laughs> williams mario balotelli and danny will yeah. just show up and then yeah. by some strange magical change of fifa rules they can play for ghana now are you going to say oh Send him away because he can't speak girl or chi or you know doesn't know how to, like he shakes people with yeah. his left hand sort of no come on really yeah. it's about football at the end of the day some of these local players that you think are so patriotic yeah. they probably aren't they are actually here for their for their paychecks they're here to take their money and go they're here to do their jobs and go it's a job you understand and the thing is I feel like wanting to win the tournament should be paramount for. You understand? You're going to play well. You want to win the tournament for Ghana. You were born in Amsterdam somewhere. But today, yeah. you are in Gabon with the Ghana national team. You're Black playing. Yeah. You're wearing the Black Star jersey. You're playing to win a tournament. You're giving your all. That's as much patriotism as I can expect from a football player. That is what I expect from a football player. So, I mean, the rules are the rules. They're the same for everyone. Pick the players who you feel are best for the squad. Yeah. The end. Okay, listeners. So we have moves going purely for results. And Donald pushing for a bit more ingrained patriotism from what the European-born players. Uh, let us know what you guys think at GCR80W. That's our Twitter handle. Join in the conversation. Moving on to our next topic for this episode. One that we've been excited for for a couple of days now. So Abraham Grant is no longer coach of the Black Stars. The, we had a pretty disappointing tournament, truth be told. We felt we could have won the whole thing. So now just a quick post-mortem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they did build did the we? hype and we started believing in them. We? <laughs> well, I did. What do we feel the weaknesses of the Black Stars are at the moment? Because you want to build a perfect coach to take the Black Stars to the next level. Because ever since Korea-Japan 2006, there's been that level that the Black Stars have been threatening to attain that we just keep falling short of. I personally feel Korea-Japan was our best World Cup. But again, Brazil came pretty close as well. For me, this was one of the most uncertain tournaments for me when it comes to the Black Stars, to be honest. Because I wasn't sure, you know, in terms of um, the striking situation, like... Who was, leading the line. who was going to lead the line and I didn't even I wasn't really sure who was going to start in defense 
which for me are like the two key areas that were questionable for me in this team. So yeah, it was it was a very uncertain tournament for me going in. So, so that's why I didn't think I didn't think we were going to win. So if you had to come up with one major weakness of the Black Stars, yeah. would you go for problem in defense or the striking department? I would say it's more in defense. Okay. Because in attack, I mean, we had Jordan who coming through. Yeah, coming through. So that was okay. I, I, I just I wasn't too sure about defense to be honest. Okay, so Donald is going with defense for one of our major weaknesses. Moose, the Black Stars, a major weakness song that you want to bring attention to. A major weakness or what I would look for in the new coach because I figure we do weaknesses and then we figure out the characteristics we want the coach to have. So like uh, let's lay out the problems. You feel like just lay out the problems. Oh, he's going to come. I mean, not to cut you off, I, but. When our left back got injured, <laughs> you had, had, had to play Frankie yeah, Champ on but, but you have to understand that um, left backs are pretty much field wingers. So. <laughs> Full backs are field wingers. Well, that's the attitude Grant seems to have when selecting the players. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, okay, no, sorry, they are not field wingers. But as a winger, you would also like have a bit of the you know the tactical nuance that a left back should have. You're used yeah. to being close to the touchline. You're used to being you know. You're just being a more defensive. Yes, position. you're used to being on the sides on the sides of the pitch, and you just have to do a bit more defensive work. That being said, I feel like no, I feel like our biggest problem is um continuity. We don't we don't really have a new generation coming through. You know, most of the time, I w- it, w- it would be best to have, like, a huge core group coming through. And then, you know, you pick bits and pieces from, you know, players who are in form, players coming up, younger players, you know, so that you know that after this. And there's that's, a progression. There is, there is there's a progression. You know, okay, the yeah. boys, a few of the boys from the under-20 are going to be, you know, pushed into the squad. A few of the guys from the under-23 are also going to make the step up. You know, we groom, we move forward. And maybe, you know, you have a local squad. That can fill in. That can fill in, you know, okay, these bench. guys, these exactly. guys. Are, because I think it's, it was something Claude Leroy did. Bless him. He had a local Black Star squad, and a lot of them are now, a lot of them went on to be fixtures in the national team, and a few of them still still remain. And yeah. they were they were quite good. I mean, you have to understand that the level, it's, it's quite a big jump back. A few of them were able to do quite well, secure themselves good moves, and you know they featured in the squad for a while. We need, we we pretty much we need continuity. We don't know, we don't know where the young the core is. We have we have um, Ajman Bedou, Dede Ayou from the Ajman Bedou and Dede Ayou from the, uh, and um, I think um, Jonathan Mensah. Jonathan Mensah. Yeah. Jonathan Mensah. Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan Mensah, who are who are in the under twenty squad, right? You need we we need more of those people to come to because now you have all the players going out, and who's going to replace them? We don't really have. I mean, as far as forwards go, we have Jordan Ayew, and we have we took Jordan Ayew, and we took Asamajan. Asamajan is is pretty much coming to the end. He's pretty much coming to the end. You know, you can tell his injuries are taking a toll. For me, I don't even know why we played him in the dead rubber uh, <laughs> Egypt game. I feel like if he hadn't played the Egypt game, he would have been available for the knockout tie. But hey, hindsight. So yeah, you you we need we need that. We need to know where we are going from here because now it just feels like 
the squad is just made up of bits and pieces who yeah. just come in and go out, come in and go out. There is no core. There is no real core, you know. I mean, Thomas Partey came in, he's new, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like he's, he's, he's pretty highly rated, but another problem would be goal scoring. You... Donald said defense. I feel like we have a problem scoring goals, and that's where that's that that's, was my weakness. I was going for that's exactly <laughs> that's where that's where the whole you know disagreement with not selecting Kevin and Montari Montari comes in, and also just just to make a point to you, when you say two thousand and six was our best performance, well, you do know that two thousand and six we had a lot of great midfielders who were doing really well in Europe at the time. That's yeah. true. SCL. So that just shows that because they were playing, you know, really high level football, the team benefited. The team, as the a team whole. benefited as a whole from those guys. You know, Michael Essien, Suleiman Tari, Stephen Appiah, and defense as well. Right? <coughs> uh, John Mason. Exactly. You know, so Painstall was a pretty deep side. So I guess I mean you can't be too sure, but I guess playing in Europe actually makes you a pretty good player. (laughs) (laughs) Look at that. (laughs) So the three major playing for Champions League sides, (laughs) playing for Champions League games, and I guess you're an okay, you're an okay player. I wouldn't know. I'm just asking. asking Uh, So I guess the three weaknesses we've identified is defense coming from Donald uh, Moose talking about having a sort of core team, a system, a generational shift, having a progression mm-hmm. along the different levels into the Black Stars team. Yeah. And he also preempted me, but basically forwards, our striking departments. We need more than Jan and Jordan. There has to be yeah. an in-between. Jan is on the decline. We need a striker for now. And Jordan is now coming through. Yeah. We shouldn't really be relying on him to be the solution to our goal problems. Yeah. So these are our three major weaknesses for the Black Stars. Let's build a coach. What does the ideal coach need to have the ideal coach for Ghana needs to be tactically has to um, yeah he has to be we need to be able to switch it up in games you know when a particular game plan is not going well we need to he needs to be able to assess the opposition and make a decision on the spot switch up play yeah switch up play find weaknesses <clears throat> prioritize attack going through the routes yeah exactly yeah. Moose, anything want to add to this super coach we are building for the Black Stars? Don't mention tactically astute. What would you add to? They have to know what it means to coach in Africa. They have to know what it means to win games. So you have Africa. to have some African experience. Is that paramount? Not necessarily experience, but Understand they have to have knowledge. The system, how they play. They, 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 they the have game. to have knowledge, yes. Okay. Not necessarily experience. You know, someone who's actually, not just someone who's finished his coaching badges and just wants whichever national team will take him to stick on the CD. Someone who actually feels like... No more gym teachers. Exactly. (laughs) Someone who actually feels like he has a plan. You know, he has a a medium, long-term plan to implement. You know, someone who Someone, someone who understands what it means to coach in Africa. I mean, you, you, you see all the time, I mean, some coaches you think they're really good, they come around, they don't do quite well. You know, they don't do quite well. I think if you look at who Nigeria have, Nigeria's foreign coaches, they've all had some pretty swell CDs. But, I mean, they haven't... They Translating haven't, that to tournament wins and success has just been much more difficult. It's proven much more difficult because you have, to, you have to understand what you're coming to Africa to do. You have to, you have to be adaptable. You have to be adaptable to what it means to 
coach in Africa. So I would stick that there. And at the end of the day, we should we should take as long as we need to find the right guy. I feel like sometimes when some of the names come through, we should just yeah, we should just pick whoever we feel is best. I don't care if it's a foreign coach. I feel like as far as qualifications go, I would feel like the foreign coaches are better suited. But if we feel like having a local guy in who would understand the terrain better and also has a bit of you know, a bit of foreign experience, you know, a former player that the players would respect, you know. I mean, anybody who ticks enough boxes. We've had coaches that, I don't know where they came from. I don't know how we found them. They've had bits of success. <laughs> They've had bits of success. But you just feel like, that's the thing. You see, that's the thing about national team. There should be a long-term plan. So if maybe you're going to bring in tons of foreign coaches, at least, I guess, at the executive level, you should have a long-term plan where even when the coach changes, you know, you feel like the... There's a sort of framework that's sort of... Yeah, the so. objective is still there, you know. A, a, a few of these uh, clubs still have that. You realize the coach changes, but I think the board still has the same mentality with respect to how they are running the club. So the club still runs along a certain trajectory. Yes, yeah. the coach just comes in and then just does that. Just pick whoever. Take how long... However long you want, pick whoever we can afford. I'm <laughs> sick and tired of hearing about money issues with... There should be yeah. somebody that meets coaches. Yeah. That falls within the budget of the GFA. <laughs> somebody who yeah. falls right yeah. smack yeah. in the budget, who's good enough, long-term plan. And someone who's, who's, who's going to be able to, you know, like groom a squad. Because I feel like we're getting left behind. We're really getting left behind. A lot of these people... A lot of these people have... We don't have that many Ghanaian players playing. And you don't see that many Ghanaians in the Champions League like we did at the time of our golden generation. We don't have that many Ghanaian star players lighting it up, so to speak, if if, if you catch my drift. So I guess we need, we, need to get, we need to get back to that. We really need to get back to that. And I guess really can't help with that. I mean, it's up to the players to make it there and there's so many things. But there's a fear we're getting left behind. You know, there's a fear we're getting left behind. You're not watching that many Ghanaians in the Premier League, you know. In Europe in general, actually. In Europe in general. So we really have a lot of work to do. And I mean, that's that's just part of it. You know, you're cheering them at their clubs and you're cheering them while they play for your national team. So... We have work to do. We just need a coach who sees that we're getting left behind and there's a lot of work to do and it's, you know, it's prepared to get us to that level. Uh, my addition would be to have a coach that actually prioritizes the local league as well <clears throat> because I do feel that the national, the head team coach should have some inputs as to how our local league is structured, trying to get local players in because for far too long, we've coasted by the saying that the local guys are not good enough. We should put frameworks in place to make sure that at the very least we are getting four or five players from the country or from the local leagues that can at least play the qualifiers and make it to the tournament. So are you calling for a quota? Because I feel like... I wouldn't want to enforce a quota, but then if that's what it takes to get the minimum in, I'd say let's do a quota. I feel like if it's it's justified, it's justified. I wouldn't be surprised if the local players are not good enough. I wouldn't be surprised. A few of them have been tried, but... They couldn't step up to the plate. They couldn't hack it. The GFA, if you are listening, we've set (laughs) 
we the ATW team has given that criteria for what who the next coach should be in terms of the characteristics they should have. We haven't said anything controversial. We haven't said anything controversial, and one key point to stress is take as long as you need to find the right person within within budget. We can't stress that enough. Uh, listeners, let us know again on you know Twitter the handle at GCRATW. Let us know what criteria you think should also be included when looking for a national team coach. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed our discussion this week, share the episode with two friends. Continue the conversation with the ATW team and other listeners on Twitter at GCRATW. If you are old school, you send us an email. Our email address is after the whistle at the goldcoachreport.com. That is after the whistle, all one word, at the goldcoachreport.com. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for The Gold Coast Report. That's The Gold Coast Report. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to us on SoundCloud as GCRATW or just look for After the Whistle on whatever podcast manager you use. Make sure to subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. After the Whistle, dominate the conversation. Neymar, Busquets. Se va al ataque de nuevo el futuro campeón de liga. Messi dejando el balón para Neymar. Atención, ahí fuera del juego. Balón para Luis Suárez. Gol. Va a golpear Cristiano. Se espatarra el bicho. Va a golpear con la derecha. Chuta Cristiano. Gol. Costa turns out the final. Irving and Curry, one-on-one, Irving puts it up, it's good, Kyrie Irving from downtown!